if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. And a good morning to you. Let's get rolling. It is now eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday, the eve of the eve of Christmas. It's the 23rd morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord 2020. Coming up on the program in a half an hour, Dave Greenspan, Ohio State Representative, will be joining us. And we are going to be talking about the utter failure of the Ohio General Assembly. The Republicans simply are inept. He's one of them. He's a Republican, but he's willing to come on with me and talk about this. I'm not calling him personally inept. I have uh, discussed this with him off the air to some extent, but the Republican Party in the city of Columbus, the capital of the state of Ohio, is filled with political cowards. There's just no other way to say it. Political cowards. There is no other way to explain how the Republican-led General Assembly with its supermajority in the House, there's no way to explain how they can vote to pass Senate Bill 311, stripping some of the unilateral authority away from the governor, that he does not deserve to have, and putting it back in the hands of the people by way of our representatives. They voted to pass it. Watched Mike DeWine say no by vetoing it, and then didn't have the political courage to vote to override the veto. The wimp in charge of the Ohio State Senate refused to call it for a vote because he didn't want to hurt his own personal relationship. This is my opinion. And until he speaks on it and pledges to never accept a political appointment from Mike DeWine, I will stick by this. He refused to call it for a vote on his side because he did not want to upset the little furor in uh, the governor's office. And he used the fact that there weren't going to be enough votes on the other side, as he saw it, as justification. That's political weakness. That is, that is the exact opposite of courage. It's a lack of courage. It is fear. Fear that his own little 
retirement or term-limited self wasn't going to be able to come out on the other side smelling like a rose, so he refused to even call the vote, which he would have had to then vote for on that override. Meanwhile, on the House side, we've been told by a lot of people in Columbus that we do have the votes if Speaker Cup would do his job and make arrangements for COVID-stricken or COVID-restricted members to get into the chamber in some capacity, a side room or whatever, to cast their votes. But then we found out yesterday only 51 of them were there instead of 60. And they did no arrangements whatsoever for the the others to come. Which gave the president of the Senate, Abhoff, all of the excuse he needed to weasel out of calling the vote on the Senate side. The political courage of the Republican Party in Columbus and in the state of Ohio is simply non-existent. They hang the people, the constituency, the people who gave them this unchecked power, out to dry. They bow before their political overlord, Governor DeWine. They pass bills to limit Mike DeWine's power. Mike DeWine says, nope, veto. And they say, okay, we didn't really want to do it anyway. Whatever you say, we'll listen to you and the health director, whoever it is. There's been three of them in the last 10 months. You can make all of the decisions. We don't have any say. What are we? We're just one-third of the separate, co-equal branches of government. We'll step to the side. Whatever you say, Mr. Governor. I'm just so over all of them. All of them. And I'll talk to my Dave Greenspan about that at uh, 9.35 this morning. That's the Ohio news. By the way, it's not as if the General Assembly, the Republican-led General Assembly, was completely useless. I talked about it yesterday, and I'll hit it again here for just a second. They did vote to uphold and to pass stand-your-ground laws in this state to try to make Ohio the 36th state that said, if somebody is attacking you, you are allowed to fight back even if it means killing them, without having to run and hide to see if you run faster than they do or you can hide better than they can find to harm you. Uh, You can indeed defend yourself where you are, whether it's in your home or your car or now even in non-private property places. If somebody is attacking you, you have a right to defend yourself with force and without having to run and hide first. That's good news from the uh, General Assembly. But the bad news as it pertains to that is, once again, the bespectacled buffoon, the little Napoleonic tyrant himself, is threatening to veto that. Common sense. Self-defense. Say that five times fast. Common sense, self-defense. Try that. I'm not going to. But legislation, that's exactly all it is. The left calls it the kill-at-will bill. The left is ridiculous. The left is is so far out of touch with the mainstream. They think that the American people, that the people of Ohio, we're stick with the Ohio story here, they think that the people of Ohio agree with them. That's probably why we have the supermajority of Republicans in the General Assembly. Probably an error on our part to a degree because of what I'm talking about. But they think that the people uh, uh, want to be served up on a platter to violent criminals. 
Ah, it's okay. If he's attacking me or my family, we'll just run faster. Hide. They think that that the American people or the people of Ohio don't want to have the right to self-defense, that they have the right to self-retreat. So they call it the kill-at-will bill. It's going to harm minorities disproportionately, they say, which to me is about the biggest racist statement you can make because they are essentially saying that minorities would be the individuals who are attacking or, or threatening to harm people in these various places. How else would they be uh, disproportionately uh, harmed or targeted by this stand-your-ground law? So I'll talk about that with Dave Greenspan as well. The bigger picture today, of course, is yesterday's spending bill finally passed. The COVID relief bill tied to the omnibus spending bill. It was worth $900 billion, and it was going to involve $600 payments being made to you and your spouse, and in some circumstances to your dependent children. That's about half. In fact, it's exactly half of what was given in the first round of stimulus. It uh, did pass, but without, uh, not without some criticism from some members of Congress, including and especially Jim Jordan. Chip Roy, another member of the Freedom Caucus, went after that hard, not just because of the minuscule $600 that they're going to give to each American in the time of crisis in which their jobs have been impacted, if not outright taken away, their businesses have been impacted, if not outright shut down. $600 is nothing in the big picture. doesn't mean I wouldn't take it, but that's $50 a month for a year. And it's been about a calendar year, just shy of a calendar year we've been dealing with all this. $50 a month isn't going to do much. So $600 per person is better than nothing, but it's not as much as it was last time. And that's still not the biggest issue. The biggest issue isn't the $600. It is the $900 billion going to other places that is the problem. Instead of into your pocket. Instead of into your checking checking account to pay your bills, meet your insurance premium, whatever your case, the case may be for you, as you've suffered during the government's ridiculous, over-reactionary uh, response to the coronavirus. That's what a relief bill is supposed to do. Put money into your pocket to relieve you of these problems created by government in response to a problem created by China. Instead, we're going to send the majority of that $900 billion to foreign countries for ridiculous pet projects. I don't even know what you call $700 billion, or $700 billion to Sudan. What? I don't know. What are we spending that money on in Sudan? It just called for $700 million to Sudan. We do know that the $10 million we're sending to Pakistan is going to work for us in the, in the field of gender programs in Pakistan. What does that even mean? I have no clue. Neither do they. You ask me, it's probably code for something a little bit bigger. Or it's perhaps a little bit more nefarious than that. How do you clean dirty money? How do you launder money? By running it through other monetary systems. Who knows what they're doing? But the majority of the $900 billion dollars 
in that COVID relief bill were not going to you. They were going to foreign countries or to Democrat projects on climate, on uh, the arts, the Kennedy Center, which always seems to get tens of millions of dollars in every single outlay. Democrat projects, none of which have to do with cli- or excuse me, with COVID relief. Yesterday, President Trump laid it out. In a video posted to the President's Twitter feed in the White House, President Trump laid it out. He's going to stamp a great big V-E-T-O in red ink across the front page. At least that's what I hope he's going to do. And then I hope he folds it up into a nice paper airplane and flings it right at Cruella de Pelosi's wig. That's what I hope. We're going to talk about that, and I'm going to let you hear what the president had to say right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it's 923 and 1420, the answer on this Christmas Eve Eve. I want to share this with you because I was very proud of my president yesterday when he released this statement uh, in response to the ridiculous um, COVID relief bill, the second quote-unquote stimulus, that it was not going to stimulate much of anything except for foreign countries' bank accounts and um, pet projects of the Democrats. The people, the the hardworking, particularly middle American families, middle income, middle class families that needed the relief were getting peanuts comparatively. And President Trump said, yeah, not having it. It's a disgrace. Give a list. This is four minutes long. It's worth every second of listening to the president lay it out. Throughout the summer, Democrats truly blocked COVID relief legislation in an effort to advance their extreme left wing agenda and influence the election. Then, a few months ago, Congress started negotiations on a new package to get urgently needed help to the American people. It's taken forever. However, the bill they are now planning to send back to my desk is much different than anticipated. It really is a disgrace. For example, among the more than 5,000 pages in this bill, which nobody in Congress has read because of its length and complexity. It's called the COVID relief bill, but it has almost nothing to do with COVID. This bill contains $85.5 million for assistance to Cambodia, $134 million to Burma, $1.3 billion for Egypt and the Egyptian military, which will go out and buy almost exclusively Russian military equipment, $25 million for democracy and gender programs in Pakistan, $505 million to Belize, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Panama, $40 million for the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., which is not even open for business, $1 billion for the Smithsonian and an additional $154 million for the National Gallery of Art. Likewise, these facilities are essentially not open. 
$7 million for reef fish management, $25 million to combat Asian carp, $2.5 million to count the number of amberjack fish in the Gulf of Mexico, a provision to promote the breeding of fish in federal hatcheries, $3 million in poultry production technology, $2 million to research the impact of down trees, $566 million for construction projects at the FBI. The bill also allows stimulus checks for the family members of illegal aliens, allowing them to get up to $1,800 each. This is far more than the Americans are given. I'm going to pause that there. Because all of the other things that he was just talking about, I listed almost all of them anyway for you yesterday. I was not aware of that one until the president said it. That's that's what they do. They bury things in a 6,000-page spending bill that they know you'll never find. Fortunately, the president found it and told everyone about it. Illegal alien families get $1,800 or triple what you would get as a $600 recipient as an American citizen. Wait, what? Despite all of this wasteful spending and much more, the $900 billion package provides hardworking taxpayers with only $600 each in relief payments. And not enough money is given to small businesses and in particular restaurants, whose owners have suffered so grievously, they were only given a deduction for others to use in business their restaurant for two years. This two-year period must be withdrawn, which will allow the owners to obtain financing and get their restaurants back in condition. Congress can terminate it at a much later date. But two years is not acceptable. It's not enough. Congress found plenty of money for foreign countries, lobbyists, and special interests while sending the bare minimum to the American people who need it. It wasn't their fault. It was China's fault, not their fault. I am asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000 or $4,000 for a couple. I'm also asking Congress to immediately get rid of the wasteful and unnecessary items from this legislation and to send me a suitable bill or else the next administration will have to deliver a COVID relief package and maybe that administration will be me and we will get it done. Thank you very much. (laughs) I love the last line. That was savage. I mean, look, I'm a realist. I have been trying to, you know, Embrace the theft, uh, meaning accept the fact that we cannot stop the theft and embrace and understand uh, the fact that Joe Biden is probably going to begin his reign of terror on January uh, 20th. But I love the fact that the president still keeps holding out hope. That flame is not yet flickered out yet. He is still holding out hope that there is a chance at the Supreme Court uh, or on the uh, floor fight on uh, January 6th. So uh, he threw that last line in there, which is great. But the most important line was the one at the end. Now, full disclosure, I'll say this before the time out here at the bottom of the hour. I did not hear all of that speech from the president. 
I only heard the clips that the news media was giving us that essentially said Trump wants 2,000 instead of 600 for COVID relief per person. And that was it. And then they tied that, the news media did, to AOC joins Democrat leaders and Trump in calling for $2,000 a person. And it's at that point that I said, wait, what? I was in favor of this, but if AOC is also in favor of it, there's a problem. Is the president only calling for the $2,000 increase from six hundred, and not for the slashing of the foreign spending and the pork projects by the Democrats? Because if that's a problem, I don't support it. And that's when I found out. And, you know, the, the devil is in the details. And the devil, of course, is Cruella de Pelosi. But Nancy Pelosi said, yeah, 2,000, let's do it. AOC said, yeah, I'm in 2,000, let's give it away. But they wanted that on top of all of the foreign spending and uh, the pet projects. So President Trump delivering that little speech that I did not get the full gist of or the full text of or the full audio of until uh, a short time ago clarifies not only does he want the 2000 he wants the money to come from the other places that it should not be spent and that's important all right 931 we're going to get a timeout for news dave greenspan ohio state representative will join us next okay 936 we continue on this wednesday christmas eve eve thanks so much for joining us on am 1420 the answer so we're going to kind of go back and forth here in a little bit of a pendulum we're going from ohio politics to federal politics to ohio politics and in particular to the legislatures um at both levels uh we'll turn our attention back to columbus now uh, i have made no uh secret of my disdain and my disgust for the failure of the Ohio General Assembly led by a majority Republicans supermajority Republicans to um override the veto of Senate Bill 311 by Mike DeWine. Senate Bill 311 was our latest last best chance to retake some of the liberty for the people of this state by giving some say in what is done to us in an emergency to our chosen and elected representatives to the General Assembly itself rather than unilateral power being held by Mike DeWine and or his um, health director. And uh, yesterday was the last chance, and uh, it failed. This Congress is good, or this, I should say, this General Assembly is going to uh, end without this being overridden, uh, despite the will of the people. And I've been very, very loud in my criticism of uh, certain members and, uh, in general, quite frankly, the Republican leadership at large over this. And joining us now to discuss it uh, is Dave Greenspan, Ohio State Representative. And I certainly appreciate and respect his uh, willingness to come on and talk about this with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Mr. Greenspan, good morning. How are you? Hey, great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You know, I want to start with some praise before I go to the, uh, you know, the angst that I and many others have and have been feeling over this. Uh, I want to praise you guys because it's not all bad. Um, a lot of good legislation was passed. Um, and in particular, I wanted to get your thoughts, Dave Greenspan, on the Stand Your Ground bill, which passed out of the House. And uh, Mike DeWine almost immediately indicated that he doesn't want to pass or he doesn't want to sign this. He doesn't want any new quote-unquote gun laws or gun legislation uh, to come up here, which means he may veto this very important self-defense bill that the liberal Democrats criticize as being kill-at-will bill. Uh, Dave Greenspan, what do you think the governor's going to do here, and what is your own personal opinion on the stand-your-ground law that, or legislation that was passed? 
Well, the, and, and thank you for that. Yeah, I did, I did support that piece of legislation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I supported it because what it fundamentally says is that you have the same Catholic doctrine provisions, meaning, you know, some, if you're in your vehicle or your home and your life is in threat, is, is threatened and you, you have no way to, to, to retreat or you're not the aggressor, that you have the appropriate right to, for self-defense. What, what this bill did, it basically extended that to be any lawful place that you are entitled to be if you do not uh, have an option to to remove yourself from that situation and you were and you are not the aggressor and or you are not the aggressor you may use whatever form of self-defense is necessary to protect yourself it, it doesn't it's not limited to a firearm it could be any form of, of of defense so I'm comfortable with where that is because I understand what it does it's not a shoot to kill bill it doesn't mean that if, if you are the aggressor or you don't have the ability to remove yourself from the situation that you can use whatever force you want. Those are always your first lines of, of defense. But if you are in a situation where you don't have those two, where, you know, you're not the aggressor and you're, you don't have an ability to remove yourself, then you have the right to defend yourself. That's what the bill does. And so that's why I didn't have an issue supporting it. Now I can't, you know, it's hard, it's hard for me to make statements. I did read, um, you know, where the governor indicated that he may, he may veto this bill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the challenge with that is right now, and because it was passed so late uh, in the legislative session, the legislature will probably not have enough time to come back uh, if it wanted to, to be, you know, do a veto override. The governor has 10 days for when he receives the bill from the Senate. I don't know when the Senate uh, or, or when, the legis- when either body in general sends someone, sends the governor the legislation. He has 10 days. Well, right now we're, 10 days out from the end of the year. Right. So uh, any day in which he receives it, he may veto it. He, the governor, a governor, may veto something December 31st. Legislature, unless it's sitting in their seat, won't have an ability to override the veto. Yeah, he does. Re- the, yeah, no, no, that, assumes you have the, that assumes you have the vote you know, to override the veto. So of course. You, you have to match the two together. Of course, no question about that. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just wondering, and this is a question without an answer, really, but if the governor really yeah. understands that he is a Republican, be in name only or not, he does realize that the Republicans who were elected to this massive majority in Columbus are speaking and doing the will of the people, and he, a Republican governor, is thumbing his nose at them, at all of you, if he does veto this. And we'll see. Uh, but of course, I'm I'm also uh, uh, a little bit uh, jaded in my view of the governor because of 311, which I want to pivot to now. All right, Dave, you and I have talked about this off the air a little bit, uh, and right. I've talked about it on the air many, many times. I am just disgusted by the Senate president. Yeah. I am disgusted by Speaker Cup uh, because this is this is a no brainer, if you ask me. Uh, this was passed out of both of the uh, chambers of the General Assembly and given to the governor with the promise by the Senate president, we have the votes, he said, in the Senate side, and I will call the override vote if he vetoes this. He said this on December 3rd. It is now December t- yesterday when this uh, last session ended. December 22nd, no movement at all, not even a statement, not even talking to the press about why he's doing what he's doing or what his rethinking is, just, well, I'm discussing alternatives to decriminalize violations of the orders that have been given here, as if that's good enough to to substitute for taking the power 
unilateral power that the governor has here away and returning some of it to the people so that our representation has a say in any orders that might impact our businesses, our, our First Amendment rights to practice uh, our faith and, and, and go to church as we will, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Dave Greenspan, this was an enormous passage an enormous veto, an enormous promise by Larry Aboff that he simply refused to deliver on. Ohioans are furious over this. Can you give me your analysis of the way things went down in, uh, in terms of the last two and a half weeks and then tell me about the House side where I was told that we had the votes there save for the COVID-restricted individuals who couldn't show up um, uh, in the state capitol? Yeah. So, uh, as far as the Senate is concerned, and, and the Senate president, you know, and, and the, the Senate's ability, because it was a Senate bill, so the Senate has to first override the veto, then the House gets it. That's the way it works. Right. Whichever chamber originated the bill, they have to pass it first and get it get it to the other chamber. I, I had heard the sure. same thing you did that there were negotiations that were taking place um, regarding um, Senate Bill three eleven, but it never came over to us. So I can't. I, I really have no inside information as to what happened on the Senate side of, of, of the uh, legislature. On the House side, what I can tell you is, I know you and I were, were well, talking about Well, before you go to the House side, Dave, yeah. if, you, if, yeah. if I may, before you tell me about the House side, I understand you're not on the Senate side. But here's what I've asked other representatives, some on the air and some off the air. Um, have you guys reached out across to the other chamber and said, hey, to, uh, to uh, uh, Senate President Abhoff, you know, g- get this thing done. We'll handle it on our side. Because he's publicly using, the only thing he's used as an excuse to not call this for a vote is, well, what's the point? The, the House doesn't have the votes anyway. Have you or any other House Republicans gone to Larry Abhoff and said, look, just get it done on your side. We got this on our side. Has anybody given him a push or is it just... We're sitting here waiting to see what they do, and we have no business talking to them over there. So what, what, what I'm aware of is that there are members that have reached out to the Senate president and to senators and said, we have the votes. Now, last Thursday, Representative Wiggum out of, um, out of Worcester circulated a declaration, which is a public document. It's available in the clerk's office for members to mm-hmm. sign who wish to, to, repeat, to do a veto override on 311. We had 60 members sign it, and one, the one who didn't, committed to, committed to support the vote. So we, it was, as far as I know, from what members are telling me, they did communicate that there is a document that is that was signed, a declaration, um, basically saying that the below signatured representatives will support a veto of a veto override of 311. That is what I know was sent, was was told to me that was communicated to the to the Senate. I did not. Yet yesterday, just to follow up on that, yesterday um, when he was on his way into uh, uh, the session, he he was asked or shouted a question about uh, whether he's going to call this for a vote, and his only reply was, this is what I was told, I wasn't there, was they only have 51 votes, meaning the House. In other words, why would I bother? They only have 51 votes over there. Is, Is that your understanding of the situation yesterday? So let's not confuse the two issues. There, there were only 51 Republicans there yesterday. I, I was not there. I had a family health issue, non-COVID related, that I was dealing with. But I did tell the speaker over the weekend, if you need my vote, I will be there. You know, it'll be late in the day, but I will be there. So there were okay. only 51 Republicans in attendance yesterday. A couple of us were on standby that if we needed to drive down, I said, 
to the speaker, just give me two and a half hour notice so I can make sure I'm there in enough time. Um, so he is correct in that there were only 51 Republicans there yesterday. I don't know the status of the other of, of the other 10, you know, whether some could or couldn't attend. Um, but I but as far as my. Absence, well, that well, that's key, isn't it? Isn't it, uh, Representative Greenspan? That's key. I mean, you said you were in the one other you knew about were on standby. And that's great. You would have shown up there uh, leaving your family situation to cast that vote if need be. We needed nine to be on standby, though. Now, you said we had 60 names who said they would vote for it. And I think you said 60 who actually signed uh, that uh, document and one who promised they would be a yes vote. So the question is, is were, were, were seven others in addition to you and the other you just described on quote-unquote standby and ready to go? And if not, uh, again, I, I, I question Aboff's leadership here, and I question Cup's leadership as well, because this is his job to make sure, yeah. you know, to tell Larry Aboff, hey, I can get this done over here. I've got people ready and willing to come in to cast these votes if you do your job on your side. Do you know if that ever happened? I, I, I do not know if that happened. I, I do not know the status of the other, uh, you know, the other, let's say 10, right? There's 61 and there are 51 there. Mm-hmm. The other nine, I do not know their status. I do not know their situations. I don't know, you know, I know that one has COVID, you know, definitively. You know, Representative Cross has publicly said he has COVID. I was communicating with him. He, he mentioned he would be willing to come down. Um, you know, and cast a vote as well. It, however, whatever method he would do. That in a in. private area. Um, I was told that a private area could be set up for people to come in, you know, uh, away from, separated, if you will, from other people. If they had COVID or if they were on restriction of some capacity, they could have made this happen. I'm sorry, continue. No, no, no. And I heard those discussions. I didn't see any formal plans about that. But um, but once again, the, the president is correct. There are only 51 there. I don't know the status of the other nine. I was willing to drive, you know, drive up. Or drive down, and I and I, I, in speaking with Representative Cross, he agreed to do the same thing. I can't attest to the other members. I don't know their circumstances. Okay, um, Dave Greenspan, I want to give you a chance to state something directly here about this as well, because uh, last yeah. week I was responding to a couple of media reports that I read, and I in fact sent you some of the from some of the text from those reports quoting you and from some other people in Columbus who said that you were not necessarily in favor of voting for an override. And uh, obviously, as I mentioned, you and I spoke a little bit or, or interacted a little bit uh, off the air over this, uh, and I want to give you a chance to clarify that. You said that is not the case. You have always been in support of this override, and any report to the contrary was uh, was inaccurate. And I want to give you a chance to do that. Well, that's 100%. Your statement's 100% correct. And and in speaking with with someone in the media, you know, they asked me that question, and I said to them that I will support my original vote, which was to support Senate Bill 311. And if that meant, you know, supporting a veto override, that's what it meant. I said I was told that there were other provisions in there that I needed to research, but but when asked would I support the veto override, I said I would support my original vote, and so would Representative Manning. She voted for Senate Bill 311, and she has agreed to, because I know that, that the, the stories floating around the state that Representative Manning and I are, quote-unquote, the weak link on this issue are untrue. And if certain representatives um, would have been in caucus last week, they would have heard Representative Manning and I stand up and support our position to support the veto override. And and I'm speaking to one, you know, Representative Candace Teller was on your show last week. I've talked to Candace, or a week and a half ago, I've talked to her about her statements, and she was not in caucus, and would, and if she was, she would have heard that Representative Manning and I were in line to support the veto override. So all these stories circulate around the state 
that Ripsa Manning and I are not. Now, I will tell you, she and I did not support Senate Bill 1 because the provisions, and I'll be clear about this, and I was mm-hmm. very boisterous in caucus about why I did not support Senate Bill 1 with the health, with the health provisions in there. It had nothing to do with the substance. It had to do with the details, I mean, the overall substance, I mean, it had to do with the details in which the provisions were put in there. I was advocating for the governor to sign every order, acknowledging that he is aware of the order because there was that that belief that the directors were acting unilaterally, and the governors repeatedly said that's not true. So I wasn't asking the governor to sign authorizing it, because that would require some changes and some laws. Just acknowledge that you're aware that the order exists. That amendment was not accepted. I believe that if we're going to go down this path of reviewing the orders, then it should pertain to all orders issued by all directors and not just the health orders. That was not accepted. I believe that in Senate Bill 1, the original, which, by the way, they've all been stripped out right. uh, in the final passage of the bill, but the 14 days for an order to stay in effect was too short. I was advocating for 30 days on the original order. Now, think about this. Here's my, my logic behind this. If there is a, 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 an issue like we have right now, and let's say that we need something, assistance, federal assistance or state assistance mobilized into an area, it may take longer than 14 days for that action to happen. So my initial amendment was 30 days on the initial order. All subsequent orders shall be good for only 15 days without legislative approval, you know, with, and then legislative approval through, through, through J, um, JCAR. And at the end of the 30 days, so you got the original 30 day order. It, ex, if it expires, it's set to expire and the legislature, JCAR, the group of legislators fails to meet for whatever reason, the order shall continue until they meet. Because you want whatever action is going on, you got to think more broadly to continue until the legislature has an opportunity to 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 react. That's on us. All those amendments fail. So I said, all right, look, I, 14 days from a practical perspective is not long enough. The original discussions, by the way, were the orders last no more than five days or 10 days. So I, I, that was my representative Manning. I had an objection to Senate Bill One, which is where this jump to the conclusion that we wouldn't support 311 came right. to, which was untrue. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what, I, I and I appreciate that clarification. I really do. I personally think that each member, though, needs to be responsible for getting their message out. Um, I think Representative Manning didn't do necessarily a great job of getting it out there. No, I am a yes on this. I will vote to override. I uh, I am in the corner of the uh, this constituents who sent me here, and this is what they want, and this is what I voted the first time. I didn't see a tweet, a message, a PR statement, anything uh, from her. And I think that's crucial. I also think the communication between the leadership. Uh, I, you know, And, Dave, you don't have to agree with this, but I am disgusted with the failure of the general Ohio Republican Party, particularly in the General Assembly, that Speaker Cup and the President Aboff could not get together and say, get your people together. We have enough votes here. Let's do this together. I feel like neither one of them really wanted to cross Mike DeWine in this, in this, uh, well, in this effort. Well, hey, and, if, you, if you want to go one step further real quick, I hear the music coming. Yeah. I'll be glad to come back on. You want to talk about House Bill 6? I'll be glad to talk to you about that. I do. The fact that, the, the fact that we did nothing on that yep. is, is a completely That's different a issue. So, yeah. yeah, and, and yeah. a judge, of course, stopped any of those payments from being made or any of those collections from happening, rather, uh, uh, because uh, he knew that this could not happen and should not happen while this was, uh, of course, uh, you know, pending. So, uh, yeah, we'll definitely talk about that down the road. Uh, but thank you All very right. much, uh, Representative Greenspan. I appreciate you coming on to clarify the record on this, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Great. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you.
Merry Christmas right. to you. Thank you. That's uh, Dave Greenspan. We're late. Let's get out and come back. AM 1420, The Answer. I just want to clarify something here uh, before the top of the hour. Um, the conversation that I just had with Dave Greenspan is one that I would have with Larry Aboff. It's one that I would have with Speaker Cup. It's one that I would have with anybody in GOP leadership or any members, rank-and-file members of the, uh, of the General Assembly. The bottom line is here, Aboff wanted to blame the Senate or the, um, the House for not having the votes, and Cup did not want to do anything to tell Aboff any different. Uh, if what you just heard from Dave Greenspan is true, and I have zero reason to think that it's not, there were 60 members who signed on to uh, uh, committing to the override, and one who didn't sign but said, I will do it. They had the votes. They would have made, if Speaker Cup would have made the arrangements for those individuals to come back to Columbus, come into the State House, and cast their votes, it could have been done. He did not want to let Larry Aboff know the votes were there. Larry Aboff did not want to find out the votes were there because it relieved him of his duty and responsibility to call this thing for a vote, which would have crossed Mike DeWine. That's the bottom line here. It is a general overall failure, intentional in my opinion, of GOP leadership in the General Assembly that cost us this opportunity to gain some of our liberties back. We'll be right back. 